sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Sports professor Riccardo, and we are on the record. Every week, this podcast will take you inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, the top deal-making issues, the top tech issues, and the top social responsibility issues, plus a blockbuster interview with someone who you might not have heard from in the world of sports, but having a profound effect on its impact. Let's get started. Sports professor Rick Harrow inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, and we're on the record. All-star games basically over in all leagues. Second halves of season dominate. That, of course, includes the NCAA's prelude to March Madness. March Madness, a big deal. We're looking at deals. Speaking of that, 3-1. to one. Three. North Carolina sports betting bill about to be filed, and Governor Cooper expects it to pass uh, this time. The Canes played their outdoor game against the Capitals at Carter-Finley Stadium, and the men's basketball game on Sunday in Raleigh, a new deal when you think about it. People can bet on games in casinos in Western Carolina, take a change in the law for them to be allowed to wager elsewhere, and try to make sure that they get good legislation, get benefits for our schools and our states, see how it goes. The governor clearly setting up the age-old argument relative to infrastructure, deal-making issue number three. Two. Milwaukee Bucks submitting a bid to host the NBA All-Star Game in 2025 or or 26. The May uh, Panther uh, Arena, UW-Milwaukee, along with the older arena, have been involved in earlier games, the 2022 or before. And now Fiserv opened in 2018. The magnitude of the all-star, the economic impact, and the bottom line is all-time record, room nights as well. The hotel next to Fiserv planned to open later in 2023. The Wisconsin Center District renovation expected to be completed in 2024. Last time Milwaukee hosted the all-star game, 1977, they're looking to do it again. One. Everybody takes a look at Disney and the NHL to create Big City Greens, live animation of the Rangers and the Capitals game, the Big City Greens classic, to offer live alternative broadcast during the fixture on Disney and ESPN channels. Disney producing a live animated broadcast of the Capitals and New York Rangers National Hockey League game. And Verizon Beyond Sports, Silver Spoon, also provide services to produce live animations. The Rangers versus Capitals alternate broadcast airs on March 14. More details regarding the first of his kind production to be announced closer to the game. Deal-making issue number one. Well, speaking of that, we have a very diverse guest and a diverse perspective on all kinds of sports. Nick Sikiewicz, he was a First class, well, Division II second team All-American goalkeeper at University of New Haven, 1982. He was involved in the 1995 start of the MLS, involved with the MLS for, for 21 years. The Red Bulls worked with him and had the honor to work with him to help build the Red Bull Stadium in Harrison, New Jersey. Became the CEO of the Philadelphia Union. And then after that, 2016, was the fifth 
commissioner of the National Lacrosse League from 16 to 2022. He's now the chief business officer of the Arizona Coyotes, has a daunting task to make the numbers work in a 5,000-seat arena as they get ready for a big one. You want to talk sponsorship. You want to talk diverse sports. You want to talk adaptation to change circumstances. I give you Nick Sakevich. You are now the uh, uh, top business guy at the Arizona Coyotes and uh, have some uh, a full plate of responsibilities. Before we get into that, let's talk about your significant and diverse expertise. Should we start with soccer? Should we start with the on the field? You were a you were a hero in France, weren't you? <laughs> I don't know about a hero, but I was <laughs> I was eight years a professional player in the eighties when you couldn't make much money playing professional soccer in the eighties. But yeah. it, started, it started there. But you understood that there would be some foundation of a lucrative business. Did you know when you were playing uh, and sitting in that goal and waiting for the next shot that you were going to make a killing in business? No, I had no idea. I uh, didn't set out that way. just wanted to be a, a really good soccer goalkeeper. And I played in Europe for a couple of years and then came back here in the middle 80s when soccer was on its deathbed professionally, basically, yeah. and uh, retired young um, in 1990. But I had no idea that those eight years were an unbelievable education for what was about to come, which was a 30-year executive career in sports and entertainment. Yeah, and a wide variety of things in sports and entertainment. So I guess the first thing we ought to talk about is MLS. Should we talk MLS first and the Red Bulls? But there are a lot of other opportunities, obviously, the Philadelphia Union and otherwise. Uh, the uh, MLS, as you found it, deathbed is an interesting description. Was it because the the numbers were out of whack? Was it because we had finally had you know, 20 generations of, of soccer that didn't work in the U.S. What, what, what were the big problems and, and how, how are they being resolved? Well, in 1990, um, soccer was a foreign sport to Americans and the NASL had uh, folded. And then there was a few other startup leagues. One league I played in that eventually became the minor leagues of American soccer. But the one kind of threshold moment was when U.S. soccer went and got the uh, World Cup in 1994. And so coming off of the 94 World Cup, we formed a small group of people, of which I was one, that uh, launched Major League Soccer in 1996. And then um, really that's when it all started. And all those kids that we were in play, playing in front of in the 80s all grew up over time. And today Major League Soccer is one of the best leagues in the world, a top league and growing wildly. So it was nice to be part of all of that in the beginning. Well, the catalyst was interesting, and Alan Rothenberg and Marla Messing and those folks, and you know, we know them from different contexts. You worked with them intimately, mm -hmm. and I assume proud to be associated with those minds and the way they kind of helped catapult the sport. Yeah, Alan's a dear friend to this very day, and we talk all the time about what has transpired in the last 30 years. And uh, uh, today, um, soccer, uh, global football, is truly an American sport. Yeah. Well, uh, let's uh, let's talk about your as much as you want to or can uh, your foray into global football. I know you're doing a lot of things. So you don't want to get too specific about it, but uh, there are certainly opportunities to link uh, American expertise with the global game as well. Uh, there's no doubt a um, lot of opportunities in Europe, uh, South America, Asia. 
you know, clubs and leagues and federations in those parts of the world um, do a great job administering the sport and caretaking the sport, but um, need a lot of help and a lot of opportunity on the commercial side. So whether it's television broadcasting, um, there's a whole new generation of streaming and access and distribution for content. Um, many of those countries, many of those clubs around the world need help. And uh, it's been a fun time to come out of Major League Soccer, uh, spent a little bit of time in the National Lacrosse League, and now I'm in the NHL with the Arizona Coyotes building another development. Um, it's fun to tap into all the connections I made over the years in European soccer to, to help them um, bring a little bit of the American marketing and American commercialism into their business because they need it. Sports is a big business today, unlike 30, 40 years ago when it was just about the sport. Today, there's so much money at stake and high-priced player contracts, and you need a business engine to drive that business. Well put. Let's segue quickly into lacrosse, and then we'll finish in hockey, obviously. So what possessed you to run the National Lacrosse League? Do you have you have any expertise on the field of lacrosse? I've seen you play a few games. Lacrosse is not one of them. None whatsoever. And I didn't even know the National Lacrosse League existed <laughs> when, when, they, when they first dialed me up. But uh, I had exited the Philadelphia Union. I, I was the founder of the Philadelphia Union 16th Major League Soccer Team. Um, spent seven years building that stadium and franchise. That was my second stadium, uh, soccer stadium to build. And uh, decided after 21 years in Major League Soccer that it was time to, to exit and leave. So I did. And like 24 hours after the announcement came, I had a couple of owners of the National Lacrosse League call me and ask me to become the commissioner of that league. I did. And it was fun six years. We, we stood up the league after it kind of floundered around for about 30 years. We stood it up on the back of some very strong ownership. There were a couple troubled, troubled franchises that we were able to stand up with stronger ownership and uh, and then began to expand. So today, uh, I think the NLL is now 13 teams, uh, soon going on 14 and 15, and it's a, it's a league on the rise. It was a lot of fun. It was six years uh, in a sport I didn't know a whole lot about coming in, but on the exit, I knew a whole lot about and really proud to be able to put that league after 30 years on uh, on an upward trajectory. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, doing that project for sure. We couldn't play lacrosse, so I get it. And can you skate? No, I can't skate. All right, well then, that's a perfect segue to this because obviously <laughs> you're now you're now uh, running the business fortunes of the Arizona Coyotes. How did that transition happen? Well, actually, towards the end of my NLL time, I I had uh, done a deal with Alex Marulo, the owner of the Coyotes, and Javier Gutierrez to do an NLL expansion team in Phoenix. And I got to know them very well, um, fantastic guys, and really have an amazing vision for the Coyotes and really rebuilding and, and uh, setting the Coyotes on a, on a much different journey than their 20-some-odd his year history, building a new arena here, building a redevelopment district, uh, $2.5 billion redevelopment district that includes arena and music theaters, of which I know quite a bit about, as you know, Rick. We worked on one project in New York together. So this was, um, as I was exiting the NLL and uh, not coming back to that, um, Alex Marullo and Javier uh, started talking to me about this project here. And, you know, these big, bold, tough projects are all once in a lifetime projects. And 
I've been fortunate enough in my career to have four once in a lifetime projects. And um, so I decided to join them here in the desert and so happy I did. It's just a wonderful place to be. It's a booming market, fastest growing market in the United States right now. And we're perfectly positioned to build this new arena, uh, a new theater, two hotels, half a million square feet of retail, uh, 1,800 units of housing. And it's just a fantastic project to be a part of. So very fortunate late in my career, I get to do a project like this. You're right, the middle of your career, pal. You're not late in your career. And, you know, some people would call you quick as a cat. And you have five more lives left, okay? It's four, so we're okay. This project, however, we know because, you know, we've worked in a variety of complex projects, and Arizona is as tough as any. Uh, it's not easy. It's not overnight. Uh, Arizona, I suspect you can make the same argument as I did out of the box in Florida. Everybody's from somewhere else. They all gave in their respective city offices. You got other teams that want some of this money as well. And these developments are hard to put together. So how are you going to do it? They are hard, Rick. You know you know better than most. They're, it's a blood sport <laughs> getting these projects yeah. done. It's truly yeah. a blood sport. Yeah. Um, but we're close. We have a huge vote uh, coming up in May from the citizens of Tempe. Um, you know, in a nutshell, it is just a financial windfall for the city. There's zero public money in this project. There's over $2 billion of private investment. And the best part of all of it is the 47 acres we're building this development on is a landfill that actually caught fire last year because of the methane gas coming out of the land. So, I, I, I heard. Wait, the rumor was you were out there lighting a match. Yeah, no, no. People, people <laughs> accused us of starting a fire, but it, it was very clear we were not the ones that started that fire. So anyway, we're, we're cleaning up a landfill, turning a landfill into a landmark. It's a massive uh, new net new tax uh, windfall for the city of Tempe that can go towards building schools and more police cars yeah. and fire trucks and infrastructure and all that stuff. So it's just a great project, a super public private deal that um, got to give Javier and Mr. Marullo credit. You know, when I looked at this thing, I was like, wow, if this project doesn't get done, uh, nothing can get done. So it's got really good economics. It's good for the community. It's good for the coyotes. And it transforms a landfill into a landmark. Yeah, well, it's all uh, historically accurate. And the other thing you left out, not intentionally, but it's just part of the whole deal, is the uh, Coyotes uh, have had, uh, from Winnipeg Jets transfer days, an incredible, we won't call it checkered history, we'll call it diverse history. They've had more arenas from the old arena where you only could see one goal at a time. Uh, out to Glendale and beyond and beyond. And the one good thing, I think, in, is, out of many, is that you have a commissioner in that league that'll fight as hard as he possibly can to keep the Coyotes uh, in Arizona, within reason, right? Yeah. To fight as hard as he can. No, Gary Bettman's been unbelievable. He's been just a stalwart behind this franchise. And now now the timing's perfect. It's It's been a market that's been on the rise. Today, it's the fastest growing market. It's the right owner. It's the right team the right president of the team and Javier Gutierrez. Um, and we just, all the pieces have come together. It's the right location. It is truly the main of Maine of uh, Arizona. It's five minutes from Sky Harbor Airport. It'll be an international destination. So all the, I guess it took a lot of time over the Coyotes history to really come and land on this spot. But sometimes these projects, as you know, Rick, it's timing. Well, you know, my rule of thumb has been 
uh, H the right number, it usually takes like seven failures and you got to count backwards to see it, reverse engineer it to see where we are with that. But take seven failures before one gets done. So you match up the seven failures and the nine lives and you're going to be there with even less hair than you have today, pal. That, that's all I, that's all I got to say. <laughs> well, one other, one other thought about where you are today, which is a challenge. And, you know, thank you for your gracious hospitality two visits ago when I was there. It's called Mullet Arena. It's named after the Mullet family, but it's primarily a vehicle and a facility for Arizona State, Ray Anderson, the AD. And you're sandwiched in among other buildings. But that's not the constraint. The constraint is, what do you have, 5,000 seats? Is that the number? Yeah, 5,000 seats, uh, sold out every night. Got a game tonight against the Lightning, sold out. And it is one special place to watch NHL-level players. It's a temporary solution for us until we get the new arena done and you know, the Mullet family built a beautiful, spectacular uh, hockey college arena for that program. And you can't pick a better name for a hockey arena other than Mullet Arena. That's just was perfect for us. So. I heard they changed the family name to conform with the tie to hockey. Is that correct? Or did it go the other way around? <laughs> no, it goes the other way around. No, it goes the other way around. It, yeah, it's, it rolls up under like, uh, you can't make this stuff up. Name a hockey yeah. arena, Mullet Arena. Mullet, it's named yeah. after the family. So we've had a lot of fun with that. Um, we gave out 5,000 mullets on opening night and the family was awesome about it and kind of celebrated the, the lightheartedness of, of the, of naming the arena, the mullet arena. And it's been a, it's been a special place. And some of the players have noted that the, it's the, the ice is the best ice in, in the NHL, which is great to hear because we, we invested a lot of money into making sure it was NHL compatible. Well, and the other piece of this, which was important that you told me about was that, uh, your prices for tickets are basically NHL around the league prices. So you're not discounting anything, are you? Well, yeah. So the team was suffering in Glendale. We were the dead last in the league in average ticket price. We we were struggling because we couldn't get our fan base out there. And actually, on aggregate, our business will do better this year in a 5,000-seat arena than it did last year in a arena three times that size. So uh, – you know, it, it's a pretty common saying these days in sports, sometimes less is more. Uh, higher quality, higher average ticket price, more premium offerings, and the ability to showcase an experience, and people will pay for that. People need to hear it again. I'm not going to uh, do anything other than to repeat it to underscore. Your business will do better this year than it did with a uh, two and a half times or one and a half times a size arena in Glendale uh, where no one went. Is that basically that's right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah overall, yeah. our business is our business has grown this year as a result of going into a smaller arena. So figure that one out. No, it's it, it does make sense. Which then gets back to the uh, uh, Arizona question. We we didn't get together, but we did on the phone uh, last week at uh, when we were taping uh, the, the beginning of this Super Bowl and uh, waste management. What an incredible event! Seven hundred some odd thousand people to watch golf. You had the Super Bowl at the same time. The numbers I heard were about 100,000 people came for the Super Bowl without tickets. So what do they do? They drink and they eat. And they drink and drink more and spend money. And obviously, you guys are part of that whole process and a billion dollars of economic impact for the Valley, right? It's unbelievable. Uh, last week was my voice is still uh, sore from last week. It was over a million people came into the marketplace for two big events and Phoenix handled it brilliantly. I mean, when you think about the road infrastructure that's been built here and all the accommodations and restaurants and activity. I mean, there's a reason it's the fastest growing city in America right now. So the timing couldn't be better for the Coyotes to be doing this project. And 
turning turning this uh, once beleaguered hockey team into a, a shining example. Still a lot of wood to chop, a lot of work to do um, in in getting this project done. But um, just in the last 12 months that I've been here, Rick, you could just feel the momentum and feel the energy uh, coming out of this marketplace and the excitement that the Coyotes are back in the East Valley again. Yeah, I think the wood to chop, I think that's Kirby Smart saying, and he's won two national championships with Georgia. So that ain't bad. You got you to emulate that wood chopping thing. It, it, may, it may give you some success long term. It's good for term. the upper body. It's good yeah, for the upper body. Uh, that's right. We, you know, we, we, both, we both need that, clearly, with our respective golf swings. So a couple of business questions for you as someone who's really done it all, seen it all. Um, what, are the, what are the biggest uh, similarities in, in, in leadership, in management, whatever it is, between your uh, – your 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 many you know your silos and your trips across the three sports what what are the commonalities people plan and execution now that i look back at all those projects it's all about having the high quality people with experience and commitment and technical expertise to be able to do the job whether it's building an arena running the arena doing whatever you need to do in in those projects so it starts with people and having really good people and we've built that here at the Coyotes over the last uh, couple of years. We've got some fantastic sports executives here and entertainment executives that really know what they're doing. And then and then it's cuddling them up and putting the plan together and then giving them uh, the authority and the, and the ability to execute on that plan. And whether it's hockey, soccer, uh, lacrosse, building a league, building a team, building a sports entertainment empire, it all is, those are the three ingredients it sounds simple, Rick, right? Get those three right and business is easy, but getting those things right is very difficult. Well, it sounds easy because you've mastered them in a very successful career, but let's just talk also about some of the differences and challenges. What, what, are, the, what are the biggest differences between all of those different jobs that you've had? Um, each one's unique, you know, and you know this from our work in New York, you know, the, the political landscape is different in the New York Metro versus the Philadelphia Metro versus the LA area or Phoenix. So the political environment is often very different. The, the laws and the rules are different for development, obviously. Um, you know, and each project has its own uniqueness. You know, the, the LA Live project I was on in Los Angeles had very different components than the New York Red Bull project or the Philadelphia Union project. Um, so each one have their nuances, but when you do these projects over time, uh, and you know this as well, because you've done more projects in your career than I have in building facilities, um, you take what you learn from one project and yeah. what you also got your head cut off on yeah. <laughs> on a project. That's right. And Right. You repeat you repeat the good stuff on the next project and you try to avoid the bad stuff. So as you, as you do each development, as you do each project, you learn a lot um, and you try to re repeat, rinse and repeat the good stuff and try to avoid the things you made mistakes on. Now, multiple choice question. What makes you the happiest in your career? A, getting a team that you're involved with in the playoffs. B, opening day of a stadium or arena that you're building or C uh, opening my sport business handbook and realize you, you were a contributor. 
D, all of the above. Right? Uh, there you go. That is that is a typical political Dixakevich answer. No, uh, it's true though. It's true. All all of those, maybe with the exception of your book, but all of those have been <laughs> phenomenal um, achievements. And there's nothing like cutting a ribbon or yeah, getting we know that. trouble on a project. You know the beauty of the cutting the ribbon. All the people who are ever against you and want to cut whatever you have on off, uh, they all show up. They're all yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you remember when we broke ground at Red Bull, all those uh, guys who were trying to kill the project. They're were, all they're all there. They were, they were in the tickets? front row eating where, our uh, shrimp. Where's my where are my tickets? So five years from now, where is Nick Sakevich? Um Nick Sakevich is here uh managing a very large uh mixed use development project with an arena that does arena and theater and development that does over 300 events a year and having the time of my life in um, in God's country. This is one beautiful place. So I think uh, that's one of it. Uh, that's one of the things I'm going to continue to do. And, you know, I've got some projects in Europe, as you know, with soccer clubs that need an awful lot of help and expertise. And that's been a lot of fun with some partners out of Africa. And I'll keep doing that and just keep on doing. I'm wow. 62 years old. I feel like I'm 32 still. Well, you look like you're 32, so that's a really good thing. And the other thing about the Phoenix area, as you know, is you put that same lousy, convoluted, contorted golf swing on the ball, and it still goes about 20 yards farther. Hey, since I moved here, six <laughs> strokes off my game. Since wow. I yeah. All right. Well, my phone hadn't been ringing, I guess, enough. I must put the battery on. I'm out there in March. You and I on the golf course. We will okay. do it for sure. Right. We will do it. Pick one, soccer, lacrosse, hockey, Nick's done it all. The Sports Gaming Minute, Massachusetts boundaries for sports bettors. It's okay to bet off the coast. It began in Massachusetts on March 10. Gaming commissioner got its, got, commission got its legal team, lawyers from another firm, and an expert on tribal law together to determine exactly where the boundaries of Massachusetts are so they can tell sports books precisely where mobile bettors are allowed to wager from. State law requires that all sports bets be placed by someone from a device physically located in Massachusetts. Executive Director Karen Wells said this week the Gaming Commission had been getting questions from operators about official bounds of the Bay State so they can put up references and geofences to block out-of-state bets. State border defines the area where people can bet on their phones or mobile apps. Two notable issues. Wanted to make the commissioner and the commission aware. Bettors will not have to go on land to place a wager. Wells said the state border for geolocation purposes extends three miles into the ocean off the Massachusetts coast. And yeah, people in their boats can get on their phones if they're in the water, <laughs> she said. Yeah, that's good. The Mashpee Wanapiag tribe has land in Mashpee and Taunton, and the Aquina tribe has land on Martha's Vineyard. So look for this to be a big issue down the road. That's your sports gaming minute. How about your tech minute? TikTok considers paywalled videos and revamped creator funds to drive activity. Short-form social video platforms uh, are exploring the idea of paywall videos, and TikTok is one of them. The fund first went live in 2020 and promised to dish out about a billion over three years. The enhanced revenue-sharing model will also encourage more sports-related, user-generated content, and obviously a very important part of expansion in the tech world that's your sports tech minute finally as we do normally good sports five 
UCLA Athletics announced New 42 Society, committing contributing at least 100 grand annually to the Wooden Athletic Fund over a five-year period. Commitments in addition to more than 270 existing annual gifts of more than 30 grand to the Wooden Athletic Fund Director Circle and Wooden Benefactor Giving Levels. Penn State participates in THON, the Panhelic Dance Marathon held at Bryce Jordan Center for the weekend, raising nearly $500,000 for one child's treatment in the world of cancer and cystic fibrosis. More than $194 million been raised by THON, including more than 14 and a half in 2022. of all these funds raised at this event are donated directly to the Four Diamonds charity. NBA All-Star connects entertainment with a commitment to social impact. The STEM spaces include new technology and books for kids to use, while the gym renovations include new basketball hoops, equipment, lighting, and flooring, a significant side benefit of the return of the NBA to Salt Lake City for the All-Star game. Emily Bates, the feel-good story of college basketball, after almost hitting rock bottom, thriving for Eastern Michigan, days away from his 19th birthday, rejuvenated his career, and can say he regained at least some NBA interest. Eric Bieniemy uh, moved from uh, the Chiefs' commanders his career. If he does well, it removes more knock against him that he wasn't a full-time play caller in Kansas City. And the Chiefs' offensive success stemmed from Reed and Mahomes, he gets a chance at stardom. That's our show for today. Nick Sakevich with amazing perspective on life. We'd like to thank him for donating his time. We'd like to thank Nick Nielsen for helping us put the show together. And we'd like to thank various entities for helping distribute it. And you for listening and watching. And join us next week when we go inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. I'm the sports professor, Rick Harrow. See you soon.